Good morning. Merry Christmas to each one of you and greetings in Christ's precious name. I'd like to ask our offering bearers if they could bring that white board that's over here and set it up here. Um, sounds like Kevin must want another dose of baked goods is what I was thinking when they said he was sick. And I'm really thankful that that Dave's skewed sense of humor can help him see the Lord's blessing in certain things. Um, I don't think, I think I would have had a harder time seeing the Lord's blessing in some of those things. Anyway, I've been very blessed this Christmas season, and I don't preach near as much as a lot of, of the ordained here, and so I think I get a little bit longer to percolate it. Thank you, boys to percolate on what I'm going to speak on than some, some of the others do because I started these notes back at Thanksgiving and they've developed and worked. And, but I have been impressed this season, this Thanksgiving and Christmas season with God's love. God's amazing love. And so to start it out with, I would like y'all to give me some attributes, some characteristics of God. And I'm going to start, just start out with love because it said God is love. Yes. Hold on. Merciful, faithful, merciful, faithful. Did you say something, Mikey? Grace. Grace. Forgiveness. All-knowing, omniscient, right? That nobody should perish, right? Omnipotent. Sovereign. Ah, how does that go? S-O-V-E-R? You know what it is. You don't know where I went to school. Not someone else? Omnipotent? I mean, omniscient? Ob omnipotent? There's another one that I had. Omnipresent? He's everywhere? That's why he can live in my heart and your heart? Good start. He's all He's always truthful. He never lies. When his word, well, I guess that's faithful. A lot of these tie together. Compassionate. Compassionate. 
So, we may think of some more, but as you think of the Christmas season, which ones of these stand out to you? I think of love. I think of His grace. You know, when God knew exactly when it was going to happen, He talked to Mary. God's presence came down and the Christ child was conceived. The star appeared. He talked to the wise man. He knew what Herod was going to do. The shepherds. He asked the wise men to go home a different way. I had to think, that's that's his all-knowingness and his all-powerfulness. There are so many attributes that when you think of Christ's birth that you think are shown. I just appreciate, I appreciate y'all helping me get that together. So, to start out with, I, I've titled this message, The Father's Love. And I'd like to start out with God's love for His Son. He did not send Jesus to the world, to earth, to put more distance between him and Jesus. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. In the bosom of the Father means by the Father's side, very close, his, con his constant companion, and it implies intimacy. Jesus was close to his Father. And yet we look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's hard for me in my small finite mind to see how God, Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. That's how we had Jesus, God, on this earth, but yet he was the son of God. And how could he be the son of God because there was never any creation? He was the son of God before he came to this earth and was actually born as a son. And so this just defies my, my comprehension that he, he's been forever, yet he was God's son, he is God's son, and he always will be God's son. But God and Jesus... Are close. There is love there. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, that is risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Jesus is at God's right hand. He was at God's right hand, and he is today, and he's working there for the saints. In Acts 7, we know the story that, that of Stephen being stoned. And as his life was ebbing away, he looks up to heaven. And heaven is open and he sees Jesus, what? Standing at the right hand of the Father, it says. It, and, and, and many have, have 
consider that Jesus was standing to welcome one of his saints in, but he was at the right hand of God. Jesus seems to abide. That's where he stays, is at God's right hand. And Jesus and God are infinite. They have never failed anyone. They're always truthful. Now, how would a father-son relationship be if the father never failed? He always did perfect in every situation. He always had perfect love. He always had perfect wisdom. And the son did the same. What would marriages be like if there was no sin in the relationship? No disappointments. The father has never disappointed the son, and the son has never disappointed the father. Isn't that amazing to think about? What kind of relationship would that make? Wouldn't that make for a, I'm going to call it a divine closeness? And so I am saying all that to say Jesus and God had a close relationship unlike anything that can be had on this earth. God loved his son. In fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration, several times in Scripture, God's voice came down from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son. Hear him on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God did not want to send his son to a sin-cursed earth and have him experience what Jesus experienced. If there would have been another way to save mankind and to fulfill God's holiness, he would have done it, I'm sure. But God in his infinite holiness... And his infinite love and justness could not associate with sinful mankind. God also loved his creation. And he, before the fall, he could have a relationship with them like he wanted to. And it seems that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and communed with them and had a closeness probably like we don't know anything about since the fall because sin has marred each one of us and we know that we can be proclaimed perfect through Jesus' blood but we're still affected by the fall. God had a closeness with Adam and Eve that I don't think we can realize on this side of glory. But God still had that desire to have that closeness with them after the fall, but he couldn't. God loves mankind. It says it over and over in Scripture. The incredible love that God had for mankind is shown 
by God sacrificing His, His precious Son, His only Son, part of the Godhead for mankind. Little story here, years ago, there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people, and he wanted to know how they lived. So fairly often, he would dress in, in working man's clothes or in beggar's clothes, and he would go into the homes of the poor, and he would go and visit them. No one knew who he visited when he would leave, but he would go and visit them to see what their lives were like, to see their hardships, because he was their ruler and he wanted to do as good as he possibly can, could. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food of that poor man. He spoke cheering and kind words to him. Then he left. A while later, he came back and disclosed his identity to the man by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask some great favor or some expensive gift, but he didn't. Instead, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart by your presence and words. To others you have given rich gifts. To me you have given yourself. Jesus left more than this poor, than this king ever left. And he came and gave his life. Please turn to Romans 5, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So it says here that God, through Jesus, was able to reconcile the gulf of a holy God and sinful man. And that's why God, in his love for mankind and in his love for Jesus, Jesus loved mankind too. Jesus walked in the garden and had communion with mankind. His love, God's love, the Spirit's love, sent Jesus to this earth. When we were nothing, there was nothing valuable in ourselves. Really? There was no reason for, there was no value in mankind for God to send his son to. Other than he loved them. 
He wanted a relationship with them to spend the golf so he could have what he had had before the fall. Titus 3, I have several verses here to read. Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. It says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be not, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But this is the verse that I really wanted out of this passage, but it shows some things. But after the kindness and love of our God, of God our Savior, appeared, uh, I'm sorry, toward man appeared, but after the, I'm sorry, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Being justified by his grace, we, we should be made heirs to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that ye affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to man. So here we have a little bit of a description of man without Jesus. Evil, brawlers. And then you go on down there, and it's disobedient, deceiving, serving lusts and pleasures. These are what we are without Christ. And none of these things would endear God to mankind. But yet it said kindness and love is what God had toward mankind, that he sent his Savior that we can be renewed, that we can have regeneration, that we can have the hope, be heirs of eternal life. And that is just amazing. But then, did you see what that is supposed to do for us in verse 8? That they which have believed on God might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable unto men. And so our love for God and our love for mankind is not just supposed to sit idle inside of us. It's supposed to work. It will work. It cannot sit idle. You cannot have a big engine with powerful fuel sitting there running and not produce some heat or something. It will eventually die out. Anything good inside of a Christian, anything good inside of anyone is because of God. It really is. Because as Paul said, there's nothing good in and of ourselves. So because of God's love in our hearts, I had to think of what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these hang, I'm sorry, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, 
George was a peacemaker, and he had a wonderful sense of humor. Everyone at church loved George, and he was respected at the hospital where he worked. The reason why so many people loved George was because he was always kind and respectful to everyone he met. George's children clearly remember the days George spent in the hospital before his death. The administrator of the hospital paid him a visit. They sp spoke as though they were old friends. A few minutes later, one of the janitors came to visit George. They too had a nice visit. When the janitor left, one of George's children said to him, Dad, do you realize that you treated the president of the hospital the same as you treated the janitor? George smiled and chuckled and said, Let me ask you something. If the administrator left for two weeks and the janitor left for two weeks, which one do you think would be missed the most? Then George called his children to his bedside. He said, let me show you something I carry in my pocket all the time. He said, even when I mow, these are in my pocket. George pulled out a pocket-sized cross and a marble with the golden rule on it. George said, on the cross are written these words, God loves you. And on the marble are these words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The cross reminds me how deeply God loves me. And the marble reminds me of how deeply God wants me to love others. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus came for the end purpose of reconciling humanity to himself. He wants a relationship with you. Yes, he showed us how to live. He gave us a perfect example of how to respond in hard times. But he also wants us to reflect that deep and grateful love to those around us. When God fills your heart, everyone around you knows it. Let's turn to number 149 in uh, Hymns of the Church, please. Um, on verse 2, I would like to omit the chorus, and on verse 3, I would like if Keelan could stand and read the verse for us. Um, would y'all please stand for this song and please think of the words. Mm -hmm. Since the
that song says it way better than what I could. The love of God will burn in your souls and it will, as, as, as Paul says, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. That love will also affect our attitudes. Please turn to Luke 6. I want to read a good number of verses here. Luke 6, 27 through 44. This is sort of a, another version of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Luke's version of Sermon on the Mount. And, but I've chosen to read it here. It's just a little bit different. Luke 6, verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them that, that which despitefully use you. And unto them, unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not him to take thy coat also. Luke 6, verse 30. Give, to, give every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would which men should do to you, do ye also likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies. Do good 
and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward, and your and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the father, the children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your father is also merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not, ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, why per but perceiveth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out thy mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam that is in thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to pull the mote out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For every good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. I'm sorry, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good, tree, good fruit. But every tree is known by his fruit, his own fruit. The love of God, when the love of God is in your heart, it makes following this passage possible. This is so practical for me today. When people, even brothers, cause pain and disappointment, God's love fills the void. God's love offers forgiveness. God's love helps there be reconciliation. Gifts without cost by Chuck Swindoll. Some gifts you can give this Christmas are beyond monetary value. Mend a quarrel, dismiss suspicion, tell someone I love you, give something away and do it anonymously, forgive someone who has treated you wrong, turn away wrath with a soft answer, Visit someone in a nursing home. Apologize if you were wrong. Be especially kind to someone with whom you work. Give as God gave to you in Christ, without obligation or announcement or reservation or hypocrisy. Some of the hardest gifts to give are things that do not have a value to them. My dear people, Jesus gave the most expensive gift he possibly could. And when we receive that gift, it allows us to make reconciliation with God, and it allows us to give the gift or show the gift of reconciliation to others. It allows us to be able to pass joy on to our neighbors. It allows us to be able to forgive in our marriages, to be able to be the best marriage partner on this side of glory.
It allows us to be able to drop criticism, bitterness, suspicion, and contempt. If we don't give these priceless gifts, we will not be prepared to meet our Lord when he comes the second time. We can bless others with a bright and happy smile, with a cheerful and joyful and peaceful spirit. My people, this allows our homes and our marriages to thrive. This, when unleashed in a church, helps make McDowell the wonderful church it is, and yay, it could make it even better. It helps you to love your neighbors at Christmas time and all the time. It allows your neighbors to be able to look into your life and say, there is a child of God. Spread God's love to those you meet, brothers and sisters. It's the only way. Now, I have a poem here that was new for me, but my wife heard it, and I think Cheyenne said she heard it. So maybe you've heard it, but it spoke to me. It's titled, Twas the Night Before Jesus Came. Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not one ever kneeling, not once ever kneeling or bowing ahead. And mom in her rocker with the baby on her lap was surfing the web while I took a nap. When out of the east there rose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash to open the shutters and threw up the sash. When to my wondering eyes shall appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here with the light like the sun sending forth the bright ray, I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names were written with love he gathered to take to his Father above. With those who were ready, he rose without a sound while all the rest of us were standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing very near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find the Bible was true after all. Let's bow our heads for prayer.
Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are a God of love. Father, we thank you so much that you wanted to have a relationship with us sinful, dirty mankind. Lord, we thank you that you sent your precious, beloved Son to this earth to live on this lowly, decrepit earth and to bleed and die so we can have reconciliation with you. And Lord, we thank you that you made it possible for us to be ready for you at any moment should you come. Lord, we just pray that for everyone here, that our lives will be an open and true testimony of your love in our lives. Lord, this Christmas season, help us to spread your love to those around us. And Lord, help us to live this Christmas season and every day that we can hear the words, well done, my, true, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy rest. Lord, we truly want that for ourselves and everyone here. And so, Lord, help us to reach out. Help us to show your love to those around us. Those in our families, Father, should know it. Those of our neighbors should know it. And Lord, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Lord, sometimes it seems like there's not enough time in the day for things to go, for there, for, for there to be done everything that needs to be done. So Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom to look to you. In Christ's name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.